Did you ever wonder what it would be like to be part of the Sparkfile coaching community? Here's how the Sparkfile community describes it. The most honest, safe, life-affirming, and life-changing experience I've had in all my 55 years. The best. I'm incredibly grateful to Laura and Susan for teaching me the tools and structures that I need to get past the fear and to just do it anyway. The Spark File is a portal to your creative powers and believing in yourself. This group is spiritually, emotionally, mentally supportive, creative, amazing, encouraging, life-shifting, and liberating uber talented warm thoughtful lovely wonderful people i need a group like this to give me the kick in the ass that i need to start making the things that i want to make and do there's a big beautiful creative trampoline that just like catches you gently and just launches you out with so much love if you want to learn more about the spark file creativity coaching including our six-month blaze course visit the sparkfile.com slash blaze and schedule a no pressure no obligation call to find out what is possible and how we can support you it's time to take it and make it the spark file podcast may contain profanity and other adult content please use your discretion When I bump into something that inspires me, I dump it in my spark file. To be something that I wanna make or how I wanna be, I pump it in my spark file. I jump into my spark file. Let's open up the spark Welcome to the Spark File, where we believe that everyone is creative, but smart, creative people don't go it alone. I'm Laura Camion. And I'm Susan Blackwell. If you're an OG listener, welcome back, Sparkler. If you're joining us for the first time, you should know that everybody's welcome here. Whether you have put your creativity on pause during this time, or you've clung to it like a lifeline, either way, welcome. But you may be asking yourself, what exactly is a Spark file? Where do I get one? What do I file in it? These are such good questions, listener. And we have got answers. <laughs> we do. A Spark file is a place where you consistently collect all of your inspirations and your fascinations. And here's the deal. We are makers who make all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. If you're like us and you're making stuff all the time or you just want to be making stuff all the time, you know that the wellspring of inspiration can run a little dry, especially now. But don't despair. We're here for you. And we are on the lookout for fresh ideas, images, and inspiration that spark our creativity and pique our curiosity. Things that inspire us to get up off our asses and make things. Like this podcast. Or an even deeper dive into the recesses of your brain. <laughs> Every episode, we're going to reach into the spark file and exchange some sparks. And from time to time, we're going to talk to some folks who spark us too. And if you're not careful, you might just balance your noggin. So without further ado, let's open up the, the spark, spark file. file. I think we should acknowledge Laura Camion. Yes. It's yeah. Spark Day. It's Spark Day. And I was explaining to Nathan this morning, I was saying, this is all relevant to what we're about to discuss, but I was like, why I think Spark Day is my favorite day. Oh, oh, please say it. 
Well, I think I could guess. Yes. Based well, on... I'll, I'll, we'll say it in just a second. Okay. Okay. But I don't want to, you know, jump yeah. my own spark. Don't jump your shark but spark. I spark want shark. to just quickly acknowledge we're continuing our experiment and we're going to do, I'm going to spark Laura this, this episode and she's going to smark me, smark me back next smark episode. You, back. you never know. Smack me across the face <laughs> and smark me back <laughs> next episode. Yes, I am. And also just want to acknowledge there's a little work that's happening outside of Laura's house. So if you hear chainsaws, know that it's just the gardeners. It's not people that are trying no. to kill Laura Camia. I'm not in danger. They're not coming for her. What is that movie? What is the chain? It's the, the Texas, Texas cha- Chainsaw yeah. Massacre. So this is not the Florida Chainsaw Massacre. That's yeah. not what is happening. No, it definitely not. You know, every time a podcaster says, I just have to acknowledge there's construction sounds in the background, (laughs) I can never hear it. So let's not make a big deal about it. Yeah, we won't make a fuss. Listen, we're going to dive right in because we are, my character one part of my brain is like, we are on a schedule. We got to go, go, go. But listen, hurry up and relax. Hurry up and have fun. Today, <laughs> 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 hurry up and relax, Suze. You've got to relax it's, now. It's funny because it's true, Laura Camion. <laughs> oh my God, uh, Laura. Yeah, you know this because I had to give you a little bit of a heads up. I have a first for you all today. I have to say, I was so seized by the spark that I did around the brain of Jill yes. Bolte Taylor. Yes, I couldn't put it down. And you've actually witnessed this in real times, Cam. I feel like I bring this up every 15 minutes. We're talking to each other. We're yes. talking to clients. We're talking yes. to our creativity coaching You're not group. alone. I, if you don't bring it up, I'll bring it up. I can't it's so good. Stop. I can't it's stop so with good. it. So, it's so now, good. Ugh, now that- but we should say, though, if you haven't listened to the episode from two weeks ago, that is titled The Brain of Dr. Jill Bolte Taylor, then you should probably listen to that one first. Is that right? If you want. I'm going to give you a okay. little like quick update, but okay. it's it's really good. So if you want to go back and listen to it, you can. If you don't, then I'll catch That's you up. That's okay, too. Okay. But now that JBT, Jill Bolte Taylor, has sparked this awareness in me, I really do see the clear application of her work in so many places. I see it in my own brain. I see it in the way it functions in relationships with other people. I see it in the way that you and I interact with each other, Laura, and the way we interact with our partners, our family, our friends. I see it in my dogs. I see it in our clients. I see it in plays. (laughs) I see it. I hear it in lyrics. I I see it so clearly in characters on film. I see it in characters on the TV show I'm on. I see it in the actors I work with and the crew and essentially... I see it everywhere. everywhere. And it just really has captured my imagination, which on one hand is great and I love it and I love being lit up by new learning, but I knew that I had to turn my attention to other sparks, but I couldn't stop myself <laughs> from going back to it. And I thought, well, why the fuck not? Who says I have to move on? This is our podcast. That's right. We there make no the rules, rules goddammit. Whatever's sparking you. So That's right. So yeah. I said, I decided if I wanted to spend more time on the spark, then I was going to do it. And in the words of Walt Whitman, swim on, little sparktopus, ever deeper into this <laughs> sea of sparks. <laughs> Walt Whitman did not say that. I swear to God, he did not say that. He had nothing to do with that. 
<laughs> swim on little sparktopus ever deeper into the sea of sparks? I think he did. Uh, I think he said that, Laura. So, Cams, are you down with this little extension to our experiment? I'm going to... Me? Double spark you. Uh, uh, double spark it up because I have not stopped thinking about it. As you know, I ordered the books. I ordered both, The Whole Brain Living oh, good. and her um, Stroke of Insight. My Stroke of Insight. Stroke yeah. Of yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm, okay, I'm good. loving it. I appreciate it. your support. I'm excited. Since the last time we recorded, I have continued to read and listen, and I filled in some gaps in my understanding. And I'll just say, Jill Bolte Taylor. If by any chance you're listening to this and you ever want to be a guest on this podcast, I still have <gasps> questions. I feel like yes. I've I've got I've studied this work as as in so much as she has presented it, I've studied it and I still have questions, but yeah. but you know, maybe I'll note those in this episode. So I'm I will probably have more as well and yeah. Um, <laughs> Dr. Bolte Taylor, please. Please join us. For the us. love of everything For the love of God, join um, us. Yeah. So let me, I'd like, without further ado, I'd like to present my second spark on this topic, the brain of Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor, part two, electric boogaloo. <laughs> um, <laughs> if you didn't want to go back and listen to that earlier episode, I'm going to give you, if you just want to keep riding this crazy train, I'm going to recap this for you. Jill Bolte-Taylor, a.k.a. JBT is a brain scientist who experienced her own stroke in 1996. She remained lucid throughout the stroke, and because she's a brain scientist, she was able to understand and share about her experience with remarkable clarity and insight, which she did in her 2008 TED Talk and via her book, My Stroke of Insight, A Brain Scientist's Personal Journey, now sitting on Laura Camion's desk. Mm -hmm. But as popular as her TED Talk was, it actually made her and TED famous she still felt it was a miss because her aim was to get people to understand what JBT had learned during her stroke journey. We all have access to a deep reservoir of peace, which resides in the right slash feeling area of our brain. And we are all interconnected on an energetic level. And as such, we want to be treating each other with reverence. What she learned was that while people began treating her with great reverence, they didn't seem to be treating each other like the magnificent interconnected creatures that we all are. So she set about to rectify this situation by writing her second book, Whole Brain Living, The Anatomy of Choice, and the Four Characters That Drive Our Life. In that book, she provides incredibly detailed research and science-based insight on the four major areas of our brains and the thoughts and feelings those areas produce. And further, she provides instructions on mm. how to bring awareness to those thoughts and feelings to strengthen our sense of choice around which part of the brain, aka characters, she calls them characters, these different parts of our brains, which character is the most useful driver in any given situation and how much freedom and peace can be attained via this awareness. So that's your recap. Amazing. What I want to do today is to go a bit deeper on the four characters as JBT defines them and see how they relate to our creativity. Yes, yes, yes. And before I do this, I just have to say, per, per the use, I'm still scratching the surface here. Uh -huh. JBT's work and her book, Whole Brain Living, goes so deep, 
crazy deep. Like just when you think she can't go deeper, deeper <laughs> she goes. <laughs> Dive deeper, little sparktopus. She provides historical context. She views this work through the lens of addiction and mental illness. She views these parts of our brain when they interact with the brains of others. How her work speaks to the work that precedes her, like Carl Jung's four major archetypes of the unconscious mind, Amazing. how it correlates with the hero's journey. Amazing. Her work is, is, it's really, really thorough and it's very deep. And again, even though I'm going to be doing part two electric boogaloo, I'm still scratching the surface of the tip of the Sparkberg. So get that book, y'all. Oh. Learn, learn from the master, Dr. Oh. Jill Multi Taylor. Amazing. So, you ready, Cams? I'm so ready. I'm so excited. Listeners, are you ready? We're ready. Okay, We're great. Excited too. <laughs> so, I want to reintroduce you all to the four characters, or introduce you for the first time, maybe. And as I mentioned, JBT recommends that you take some time to name each of these characters so that you can really identify them as distinct when they start producing thoughts and feelings. So as I share these lists with you, consider that you might want to take some notes and maybe play with naming of each of these characters in your brain. I will tell you, Laura, I have done some of my naming, yeah. but I have not settled on all my naming. So yeah. Okay. Yeah, I've been so, contemplating my naming, but also have not committed entirely to the names. I have found titling things, anything that you make is either the easiest thing in the world and yeah. it comes just like that yep. or it is ponderous. I agree so, so wholeheartedly. I yeah. agree completely. Yeah. So part of the, I'm about half done here, but maybe, maybe by the end of this podcast, I'll be done. Okay, here we go. Let's start with character one, left brain thinking. So this is the left hemisphere of your brain. This is the thinking part of your brain. She calls this character one. And here is a little recap. This part of our brain is past and future based. It thinks linearly and analytically. It is verbal. It thinks in language. It focuses on details. It seeks differences. It is judgmental, punctual, individual, concise, precise, and fixed. It is busy. It is all about structure and order. It is individuated and focused on me, and it's a perfectionist. So, Ooh, what a doozy. That's where our um, perfectionism lives. And when you say busy, I'm just like, and this is like, when we talk about the attention economy and the um, productivity economy of like push, yes. push, push, this is character one. Capitalism, baby. Capitalism is really appealing to this character. That's like the busier I am, the better I am as a human being. And I'm better than you, frankly, because I'm also judgmental. Yeah, so I work superiority, hierarchy. It's very hi hierarchical. So mm -hmm. it it understands like who's above me, who's below me. So yes. But when we talk about people at work who like are trying to win the suffering trophy, like mm -hmm. I worked longer hours more than anyone else. This is so that seem, character one. That seems to me like a combo platter, actually, of character one. one. And character uh, two, who is the suffering piece. And the character one is like, did I win? Did I win? I okay. think. Yep, sometimes when I, uh, sometimes I make these um, assumptions or extrapolations on her work. And 
and I'm, I'm guessing, I'm guessing yeah, here. So that's like sure. a question I would have. Let's mark that down, Dr. Bolte Taylor. What do we do with the suffering trophy? Okay, great. <laughs> Where does the suffering trophy live in our brains? So have you any thoughts about what you might name this character, Cams? Not yet. I, I keep tripping myself on something you said last time, which was this um, part of our brain is like peanut sized. Is that this part of the brain or the whole, all of these? Like are all sized? of these, all of these are, the, it's just a little cluster of cells that are producing these different character pieces in, in our brain. Okay, yeah. Great. Okay. Yeah. So I kind of got stuck on this idea of like a peanut gallery, yeah. but then I'm like, I don't think that's going to suit. That doesn't, because it applies to all of them. Yeah. Got so. it. TBD. Also, my understanding of the anatomy, sometimes when JBT talks about the anatomy of it all, I'm just like, doody, doody, do, because I just can't <laughs> picture it. And I just, it just sort of washes over me. But it could, it's possible that there could be like four little peanuts. You know what I mean? Like the like left amygdala, snorted. the right amygdala are two different peanuts. Yes, duty, duty, do. Yes, it just you know, <laughs> it's numbers, science, history. I just go, I, I just go. Doo-doo-doo-doo. I have a confession because all my life, like writing reports and whatnot in school, when I get to names, my brain will go duty, duty, do, and I'll come back because I just think like I'll come back and get and pick up that name. You really? know, when you're like writing a report, and um, and numbers as well. Duty, duty, do. And so I'm just <laughs> laughing that that is your description of it because I've never quite named what's happening in my brain when I skip over stuff. A little figure of flute music plays my brain. It's just do, 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 do. It just skips right over it. But Amazing. so I, I don't think I have a good answer to your question. I think for my, the question I asked you, I think I am sticking with all business Susan, yeah. AKA ABS. Yeah. Used in a sentence. I'm not trying to be a fun buster, but ABS wants us to get this done and get to bed on time so we can get enough sleep to wake up rested and get back to work early tomorrow morning. That is so ABS. Of course, ABS wants that. And I just want to, if if you didn't catch it before, fully admit this is the dominant piece of my brain. Well, I think for so many of us, Suze, it, it I think, again, to go back to like, because capitalism, because mm-hmm. of the world we live in, this is how a lot of us attribute our success to this. So if we've built this up, it's that part that's difficult to let go of because it's like, oh God, but if I stop working this hard, that working this hard is what got me to where I am. I can't like relinquish. I can't get out of this part of my brain for fear of terrible consequences. Mm-hmm. Right. Like drifting off into fun land. It all sounds great, but this part of our brain is going to be like, but you need to be rational and reasonable. Yeah. If you I mean, wanna, you know, keep a roof over your head. Again, Nathan and I were talking about this this morning and we were laying in bed and I was like, as much as I can be frustrated that this part of my brain is so strengthened that it always wants to run the show. Yeah. I was like, look around you, everything you see. Well, no, not everything you see, but much of what you see uh-huh. is the result of the work of character one. That is right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So it's not everything, it's, yeah. but much of it. Yeah. And also I do wonder, I ha- this is another question for Dr. Uh, Bolte Taylor. 
each character, is it part of their nature to try to convince you that they are the most important and the most useful part of your brain? Because it definitely seems like character one would do that. Like, I am the person for the job. I can get us through this. And because they work in language and they're so organized, they would run a great campaign. That's right. They yeah. would. Yeah. Yeah. They're very yeah. convincing. I think it really depends on how you're wired because I have known people who are like more straight up character twos or more dominant character threes, et cetera. And they uh, make a great case for, uh, or aren't even making a case. They're just like, I'm, I'm JK living over here. <laughs> I don't need I don't to give convince a you of anything. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So true. And I wonder if that's like those parts of our brains don't win out as much because they don't, they don't campaign to say, let me be in charge. I'm, I'm intrigued. I just thought of a great name for a character one. And this is a spark I'm not going to use. Tracy Flick. Oh my God. Yes. (laughs) Tracy Flick would be amazing. Run a good campaign. Okay, yeah. we have to keep moving or okay, we're okay, just okay. we're not going to be able to cover this all. But so let's move into character 2. This is left brain emotional. This is a part of our brain that developed long before we began thinking, and this part of our brain has been keeping us safe from the jump. And by jump, I mean like prehistoric times. It is well, it's also past and future based. Specifically, this character speaks up for our hurts from the past and wants to keep us from getting hurt in the future. It is fearful and cautious. It experiences grief and pain. It is stern, rigid, constricted, righteous, critical. It loves conditionally. It is doubtful and skeptical, manipulative, bullying, selfish. She sounds like a real charmer. Worrying, complaining, a victim of circumstance, helpless, to getting its needs met. It might be bold, loud, and biting, or self-loathing, silent, pitiful, passive-aggressive, awkward. It's misery that loves other miserable company. And this was something that JBT said that I thought was interesting. Tried and true and independent. And I understood the independent part because it is a very individuated me, 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 not an us, us, us part of the brain, Mm -hmm. but tried and true. I think that means it sticks to the known and sticks to what has worked in the past potentially. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That makes sense. It is an either or part of our brain who works in those concepts like superior, inferior, right, wrong, good, bad. So it's very sort of black and white in that way. Our character twos tend to explode onto the scene instantly and powerfully and bring with them negative feelings in our gut, a furrow in our brow, and an aggressive tone in our voice, which leads me to extrapolate it's not the most nuanced or developed part of our mind. This is a this is an older part of the brain that developed much much earlier than the thinking part of our brain. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, I'm going on a little tangent, but JBT talks about how we are feeling we are feeling beings who think because our feelings developed first. Our thinking developed subsequently. So this is a very feeling part of our brain. What are we going to say, Cammies? Well, I was going to say that I I feel as though I have experienced people who have a a very highly developed character too. Mm -hmm. And it may come from, you know, spending a lot of time there and retreading the past. So as, you know, that if you keep 
sowing that ground and recycling it for fear for the future. And I also wonder, you know, the way that politics is working in our country at the moment and the media, our desire for fear, like to scare ourselves with yeah, the yeah. potential for terrible things to happen in the future, we gravitate towards it. Yeah. And I wonder if that is making our character choose, uh, you know, giving us more time in those places. I think that there are whole businesses, media conglomerates that are organized around activating our character twos. The chainsaw's getting a little closer. I'm not in Oh, they're coming Don't for you. Be worried. Don't be worried. That chainsaw's activating your character too. <laughs> You've seen the movies. You know what's possible. So um, just to return to the words of JBT, it is this audacious character too who faces our deepest fears and sounds the alarm for danger in the only way it knows how. It wails, it whines, it cheats, it schemes, it self-loathes, it gets jealous, it gets angry, it feels guilt and shame, and it acts out in a million antisocial ways to get our attention. Our left and right... Now, this I thought was interesting, Laura. This I thought was interesting. Mm -hmm. Our left and right brain emotional characters two and three both can throw a temper tantrum at any age because the cellular networks of our emotional system never mature. So that's that feeling parts of our brain. So whether it's in two or three, so right brain or left brain, they can both get activated and they will not mature. So let's keep that in mind about our little character three. She can kick up some dust too. Is that because, um, again, because the past and we're going to, you know, the... Uh, like let's say trauma, trauma that happens when we're young and we return to that to feel the the pain to have the tantrum. I'm just really curious about that. And you don't have to say now because it might jump your spark, but I'm so curious to know if you found an answer to what does a healthy character two look like? Is it possible? Yes. This part of our brain is, in the words of Gavin De Becker, our gift of fear. It is working to keep us safe. And JBT describes her character too with so much appreciation. She describes it as a lovely and vulnerable part of her. And she says of character two, I have learned to value this character as my inner alarm and for the depth of my emotions as well as my potential for growth. Yet every time this part of my brain goes negatively haywire, it means there is something going on that makes me feel unsafe deep inside. When I am willing to explore what is at the core of my reaction, there are insights available to help me better understand my own fears and weaknesses. So Ugh. what she is describing is this is where our growth edge lives. Yeah. And this is where we gently lead the creatives we work with, Laura. Yeah. We are continually asking ourselves and our clients and our listeners to travel to the edge of their comfort so that they can identify good, healthy, constructive, creative risks, sparks of inspiration, and the fuel that gets things made. So in the language of JBT, we're talking about befriending our character two and thoughtfully, consciously journeying into that character two space in service of our creativity. So that's mm. the partial answer to your question, I feel. So there is a passage in JBT's book, Whole Brain Living, that I really loved. And I feel like it's so useful for artists and human beings regarding this character two. 
Our character, too, is the source of our deepest and most profound emotions. Among others, we have the capacity to feel overwhelming loneliness, become completely enveloped by grief, and love more deeply than we could ever imagine. When we hurt or hate or feel completely possessed by jealousy or rage, these emotional experiences are both powerful and delicious. I always share that I don't mind if someone is miserable as long as they remember to enjoy it. The ability of our brain to manufacture an experience of misery is a total art. We all hurt, and having the emotional capacity to experience true suffering is an amazing part of being alive. We just get into trouble when we spend too much time running that circuitry, believing that it is our truth rather than realizing that it is simply a group of cells running a circuit. I feel pain. I am not the pain. I mean, come on. Come on. That is amazing. That is yeah. like, that is literally everything. Yeah. Just like, don't linger there. It's not your identity. It is simply a feeling. Don't, yeah. Don't furnish the place and set up a home there. That's right. Like, but, but it is part of the human experience and therefore part of the creative experience. And if we don't spend some time there, if we don't have some lived experience there, how do we make stuff? How do we make stuff other than just things that are like read like a greeting card? You know what I mean? That's right. And as creatives, I'm sure you're going to get into this, but if we want to impact people, if we want to touch on those those pieces of humanity that we all experience, like loneliness, things we experience but don't necessarily talk about all the time, you have to touch on their character too. Like you're literally reaching in and, you know, it doesn't mean that, again, that we're all as a, an audience collectively going into character two and staying there, but at least touching on it so it yeah. can trigger those feelings. That's essentially like what most artists hope to do to some degree. Like you want to touch on those deep, deep, deep feelings. I fucking agree. Yes. Um, to answer your question that you asked last episode mm -hmm. and just restated, Laura, talking about cultivating a healthy character too, JBT says the best way she has found to hold her character too in love while retaining deep inner peace is through an exercise that she calls the brain huddle. And I'll talk briefly about that in just a okay. moment. But first, I just want to consider what we want to name this character too. Mm -hmm. And as I said last time, I actually know... I'm going to say at least two living humans who completely embody the majority of these qualities. Um, and yeah. I, I thought about naming this character after them, but it's hard sometimes for me to feel compassion for those folks because they're yes. so unpleasant. So I thought I might call my character two LSB, which could stand for little Susan Blackwell because it's just like that little part of ourselves, yeah. but it could also be stand for little scared bitey because that's how that's how it sometimes how it comes goes. out. You're it like gets scared and it gets bitey. Yeah. Um, I think about how fearful and anxious I was as a kid and how fearful and anxious I sometimes still am as an adult. And what things bring my character to, aka little scared bitey to the surface when I'm in real danger, certainly, but also when I can't figure out how to learn something. I remember one up from the time that I was very young, uh, I would just like, if I couldn't figure out how to learn the continents, like, mm -hmm. or how to, how to learn a math thing, I would just like 
burst into tears and I I was just a mess. Mm -hmm. But now as an adult, when I'm in an unfamiliar environment, when I'm afraid I could appear imperfect, believe it or not, like, do you have, but do you, but yeah, have you thought (laughs) at all about? Yeah, I think about this. um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure about this, but I'm thinking I might call this my sensitive soul. Because, because for me, sensitive soul, like, I think that helps me to have compassion for it. Uh And because it does go all the way back to my youth, my youth was spent being told I was too sensitive, as we know from previous episodes. Um, And both, so there's a negative and positive association with it. But Mm. if I think of it collectively as my sensitive soul, I think I can have a warm appreciation for it more than because there's other names like you there's someone yeah. in my life who like to be honest my mom's yeah my uh, most of the time like you know when you're talking to your therapist and they're like where does that voice come from I'm like well it's it's my mom's voice and I now know of course my mom was scared uh-huh. my mom was a, a you know essentially a small child who never you know who never got to heal certain parts of herself. Yeah. So I have, and so I do have compassion for her as well. So I'm, I'm thinking I'm trying on sensitive soul. As I, a, you know, I like it. Yeah. I like Thanks. it. Thank you. Yeah. I added bitey to mine because I was like, sometimes it doesn't come out just like I'm scared and sweet. It That's comes right. out bitey. Yeah, so, no, that makes yeah. sense. And uh, mine doesn't capture that quality. So I'm not, I'm not sure if it's the whole, enchilada or not yet but it's what i'm playing with let's play with it for now okay all right so next up we've got character three this is right brain emotional these are words that jbt associates with this part of the brain creative innovative open expansive fearless risk-taking friendly kind sharing trusting unconditionally loving supportive grateful goes with the flow prizes equality speaking of her character three jbt writes many of us compulsively express ourselves artistically and few things are more beautiful than the feeling we get when we are completely lost in the flow some people proclaim that their creative process is an agonizingly painful experience that is in its own weird way uniquely delicious others just link up to their muse and genius pours right through I know that when I carve stone, I love that she's a stone carver. She's This woman amazing. is amazing. She's amazing. amazing. I become so caught up in the flow that I feel compelled to discover and release whatever figure is stuck inside the block. How lovely it is that we humans have this capacity through our right brains to reach deep inside and express ourselves in creative ways. What a bonus it is if our creation somehow touches the heart or the right brain of another. So those were all the words of Jill yes. Bolte Taylor. And I love, she's a, like like most people listening to this, she's, in addition to being a brain scientist, is wildly creative. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this is what I was talking about with Nathan this morning. We do all this character one work. ABS did all this work to mm-hmm. organize the recording of this podcast. You know, I did this research. I, I wrote up my book report. I... Uh, got this, got you the Zencaster link. We conferred about whether the sound would be okay if there were chainsaws outside your window. Like all of this, like character one, all business Susan planning. 
so that when we show up here, Mm -hmm. we can just (laughs) relax and have fun. And that's why I think podcasting day is my favorite day. Yes. It's just like character three is off the leash. And I also have to say, I think it's true when I teach too. Do all this planning, all this preparation so that when I get into the classroom, we can be Ding dongs. We can yeah. have fun. We can. I think I probably maybe I take it too far sometimes, but like hmm. just have fun and improv with the knowledge that the foundation of our curriculum is just solid. spot on yes. and solid. So hundred percent. Yes. 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 That yeah. makes so much sense. Yeah. Anyway, you get the picture. Mm-hmm. But I think this is why this is why podcasting day is so fun because it's just like character three in full effect. So uh, JBT writes that this character three is her primary default setting. She wakes up in the morning as this part of herself with joy in her heart and curiosity about her day, and then consciously shifts into different characters as needed. Then once she checks out her scheduled commitments, she meanders from one thing to the next, pretty much without a plan, but problem solving as she goes. And then her character one pops in and keeps her on schedule, but her automatic impulse is to slip back into the freedom of the present moment character three, unless there is some reason that she should allow a different character to take the wheel. So this is so interesting to me. As you know, I struggle with my character one driving, 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 driving. And even when I have time to rest, my character one keeps popping online and telling me to be productive. And the (laughs) only way I can allow myself to rest has been historically to work, 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 work until I'm so worn out that I have to rest. And that's when I allow myself to rest when I'm so tired that there's no other option. So character one dominates my days. And I, you and I talk about this all the fucking time. I keep craving more what we have called unscheduled time on the calendar or more mm-hmm. porous time on the calendar. Mm-hmm. But I think what I'm craving is more character three time. Yes. Yes. And I tell all of, I'll tell you all of this because when I recently had a few days off in a row, I tried a different approach. I had, I had a lot of conversations leading up to this to try to get my brain right about it. But then I had my character one make a list of all the fun things that I wanted to do. So that was like painting, working with plants, working on the house, doing crafts. And then I did, I basically did what Jill Bolte Taylor described here. I just sort of followed charm throughout the day and I picked what I wanted to do next. And when that got, when I was sort of like, I don't want to do this anymore, I would put that down or wash, clean my paintbrushes and put them away and I would flow on to the next thing. And it was lovely. My character one still wanted to keep me moving. Mm -hmm. And I noticed that when I stop moving, when I sit too long, when I read a book for pleasure, when I watch TV during the day, I have a really hard time quieting Mm -hmm. my character one. But this JBT default setting that she describes is more of what I crave. I just have to figure out how to roll this way when I'm not on vacation. And I'm not sure yet how to keep this business running smoothly and character three it as much as I'd like to. You know, I couldn't agree more. I think it's really interesting that she wakes up in three. I'm, I Uh, want that. I want that. You wake up in one. I wake up in one or, I mean, or within 30 seconds, it's shift into like, wait, what time is it? What time is my first meeting? What time is my first thing? What do I need to achieve before that first thing starts? Because then we're off and running. 
Um, so that kicks in immediately and almost like I can't, I can't actually get up in the morning and relax without checking in with character one and seeing like, what's the situation? What day is it? And what do we have on the docket today? Yeah. But, um, but as you were talking, I was thinking about like, you know, I've talked about it many times, but my career at Blue Man Group surrounded by clowns. I mean, literally these guys are, it is their job to be in In character character three. three. Yeah. And they live their life there. And I, like, I definitely experienced, um, well, then in contrast, the rest of us who sort of like run the show and get all of this other yeah. stuff done so that these guys can get on stage and play, you know, it, it almost became like, in contrast to that, we are, our value comes from like, what, what do we get done and how efficiently and how accurately, boom, boom, boom. That's right. Right? So you start to define yourself that way. That's right. But the um, attraction, the draw to, I could tell there were people who were like, I love being around these clowns because they are that way, I, I'm telling you, like 90% of the time. Yep. It is, again, it is their job. It is their livelihood to be that. They're, they're So in their mind, their value might be associated with like my, their ability to be in character three. And that's anytime from rehearsal time to meetings to actual show time. And there were those of us who were like, Oh yeah, that's amazing. And I want more of that. And then you could see there was others who were like very, very resentful of that. Like, well, I don't get to live my life as a clown, you know, um, it uh-huh. really triggered a pulled them into their character too. really pulled them in. And <laughs> I always like, I've always been like, no, I'd rather like be around it and um, aspire toward it. I would choose it. You know, I just can think of 12 people who like live in this state. Yeah. You know, when we have conversations with clients and they're artists, they, they want, they mm-hmm. aspire to living a more character three life, but necessity requires that they, you know, pay their rent That's and they make right. sure they have health insurance. And sometimes people will play around with the idea of taking a job that is in like you at Blue Man, yeah. you're in a creative space, but yeah. you're doing character one work. That's right. And the question we always ask people is, Based on what you know about yourself, will this feel like standing next to the fire and not getting warm? Will this feel like I'm so close to what I want, but uh, why am I not warm? And another way of looking at that, or to use the thinking of Jill Bolte-Taylor, it would sort of be, I'm cast in the role of a character one, I'm standing right next to a character three, and I can lightly play around in character three, but at, at, you know... In a moment's notice, I need yeah. to return to my desk and character one it. So, Suze, I can look back and tell you, I can tell you entire years, if not decades, when it was more than enough for me because I was playing, literally playing with all of them and sitting at my desk and doing it. But at night, we were creating shows with totally. some of them, you know, with some of the people. Like it was more of that collective kind of feeling. So I was writing, uh, performing, creating shows, producing shows. Um, and then those years where I wasn't, then yeah. that's like, oh no, 
nope, that was not happy not gonna, making. This isn't going to work. Need it's not sustainable for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Need to get more of that play energy. Yeah. I hear people, I hear clients talk about resistance to, to the necessary character one work that sets the stage for what they have called the yes. juicy stuff. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. AKA character three work. But I have to say, once I understood that my character one is absolutely essential to getting, for me, to getting yeah. to that yummy fun of character three, it makes me appreciate character one's hard work and organization so much more. Me too. And Suze, this is just coming to me right now, but this this tragedy of um, artists being taught essentially that they can't be good at character one like they that that they're meant to be in three and they can't like uh, i can't figure out the business stuff or i can't that's when people get like embezzled on like when they're like oh i don't concern my i don't uh, i'm like i'm not numerate either but you've got to pay attention to your money yes and the way like the work of jill bolte taylor if anything if we can take anything away from it is that we all have within us the capacity for that's all right. four of these that's and right if you've been told differently you are incorrect you are if you've told incorrect. yourself differently that's right if you've told yourself that i couldn't possibly understand how to stay on schedule or how yes. to um, run my finances or, or run my business or if you've told yourself i couldn't possibly be creative i'm just not i'm not creative oh probably you're not listening to this podcast if that's something you think about yourself. But but if you are and you've told yourself that story, it's simply not true. It's simply not true. We all have access to all these parts of our brains and it's just about consciously strengthening them. Mm-hmm. Talking about this creative collaboration, that's essentially what we're talking about. We're getting these different parts of our brains to collaborate with each other. Mm-hmm. JBT writes, creatively, if you are a natural musician or visual artist, you use your right brain to express yourself. When your character three comes out and is dominant, we become uninhibited by the paralyzing fear of our left brain judgment. It is right here in the present moment when we find a beat add a rhythm, pick out a melody, and hook up with our left brain lyric writing self to communicate a message that is a perfect combination of story, emotion, and feeling. But when we work it, study it, and perfect it, our left brain is the master of practice. And then our right brain makes magic happen during the performance. So, I mean, that's a sort of uh, illustration of what you're talking about. And I think about that in... Oh, God, our work as teachers, our work as creatives, my work as an interpretive artist, when I go, I learn my lines, I know how to hit my mark. It's that spark you did about preparation. Um, You know, that left brain is like, prepare, prepare, prepare. And that's right. Go have fun. And then let it rip. But even when you're letting it rip on camera, that's a really good example of you have to have your character one still has to hit marks. Yes. And sometimes those marks are so subtle. It's literally like, can you shift your weight to the right stop? Like it's so, and you Mm -hmm. have to then let your character three come out and play while your character one is holding to holding Holding you to that mark. Yeah. Yeah. And also like how, like when you do it, that's part of why, how, like how exhilarating it is. I think, 
I don't know what Dr. Uh, Bolte Taylor will say about this, but to me, that multiple parts of the brain working together and lighting up leads to an incredible like euphoric feeling to me when you do oh my things gosh. that require them to work together. Yeah. That's yeah. exciting. I, I mean, that's what, like uh, Anthony Veneziale showing those brain scans of yes. people where their whole brain is lit up. Yes. That is a good time, Charlie. Yeah. Whole brain collaboration. When I read JBT's words and her work, it really does help me appreciate how all the parts of my brain need to pull their weight when it comes to the creative process. And just to restate, character one, left brain thinking, keeps us organized, meets deadlines, schedules rehearsals, makes sure we're off book, Character fills out grant applications. <laughs> character two, left brain feeling, tells us what scares us. It serves as our growth edge. It fleshes out the full range of emotions and the human experience. Character three, right brain feeling, is creative, curious, playful, seeks adrenaline and adventure, which leads me to character four, right brain thinking. A little bit about character four. This part of the brain lives in the present. She is nonverbal. She thinks in pictures. I think that's super mm -hmm. important. She thinks in images. She is compassionate, flexible, resilient, open to possibilities, available, looks at the big picture and seeks similarities. So instead of the, the left brain seeking differences, this part of the brain is seeking similarities. She is experiential, lost in the flowing fluidity of time, body-based, kinesthetic. Jill Bolte-Taylor says character four is always running just below the radar of the noise that is made by the other characters. And Jill says this is her authentic self that is all-knowing, all-loving, and connected to all that is. I think... This is me talking now. I think when we are experiencing the very best art, either as the artist or as the consumer, when an audience is breathing together, when their hearts are beating together, when we transcend time during a great performance mm -hmm. and we look down and the lights come up at intermission and we say, oh my God, it's three hours later. That's when art has the capacity to bring character four to the surface. So, JBT has talked about how the stroke knocked out her characters one and two. And when that happened, how the consciousness of her character four was one of uncompromised peacefulness and euphoria. And she said she returns to that state many times every day. And when her character four is in effect, she is in the present moment. Her senses perk up. She gets an expansive feeling in her chest and the boundaries of her body slip out beyond her awareness and the essence of her being swells in a timelessness of intense grace and contentment. Her speaking voice drops into a lower register and she enunciates clearly. Those are her words. Tell me that doesn't sound like the description of a great performer, like a great stage actor Amazing. or a great, when I think about like, I'll, I'll say her name, Meryl Streep, when I've watched Meryl Streep work both on screen, but also in person, I'm like, oh, you're going into a different space. And I've described it as flow. I've described it as trying to find words for it, sort of like when Michael Jordan talks about how when he's in flow, things go into slow. It's like everybody else is in slow motion and he is just in real time and he can, his brain is working faster or he's 
moving faster than other people. I observe that in Meryl Streep as well. And I just think, oh, they're living, I think they're whole brain living actually with yeah. a big healthy dose of this character for flowing peace. Of her character for JBT writes, consider the moments in your life when you have felt your heart expand or open. And I was like, I do know that feeling. I I feel it in my chest. There's a Macklemore song where he talks about feeling a bubble in his chest. And I'm like, oh, I know that feeling. And that is our character for rising to the surface. She goes on to say, this portion of my brain knows that we are perfect, whole, and beautiful, regardless of what is spiraling around in me in this world or what circumstance I find myself in. And she writes a bit about how to consciously shift to get into your character for, and this is what she says, with practice, I shift my consciousness out of my normal focus, pushing the constant noise of the world into the background and bring my attention to that which has no name. When I focus on my breath, I shift out of the past or the future. Once in the present moment, I connect with my sense of gratitude and allow my consciousness to devolve into the babble of the babbling brook and empathetically experience the laughter, tears, and fears of others. I let myself expand, weaving my energy between the blades of wheat in that field over there, and I am in the movement of the grass and trees. This part of me is never far away as I vibrate in the hum of the hummingbirds and coo at the trail of a shooting star. When she uses these words, Laura, this her description of character four, it's poetry. Her words and the natural interconnectedness she is describing remind me of a roomy poem that we read each week at our creativity lab to get into the flow of our creative work. This poem was introduced to me by my writing teacher, Linda Berry. And Linda Berry uses it to ritualize the beginning of the writing process, which I think is essentially to tell the whole brain and especially character four we're going on a creative journey for the time being. And this is the poem. Tell me if this isn't the most character for thing you have ever heard. You are sitting here with us, but you are also out walking in a field at dawn. You are yourself the animal we hunt when you come with us on the hunt. You are in your body like a plant is solid in the ground, yet you are wind. You are the diver's clothes lying empty on the beach. You are the fish. In the ocean are many bright strands and many dark strands, like veins that are seen when a wing is lifted up. Your hidden self is blood in those, those veins that are lute strings that make ocean music, not the sad edge of surf, but the sound of no shore. Thank you, Ruby. Is Thank that you, the Ruby. most character for? It, yes. It, and when we when we read it at the top of uh, creative our creativity lab, where people are preparing to immerse themselves into that mm -hmm. character three, we're also signaling to them: not only is it time to get creative, it is time to dip into that character four space, and it's it's like a magic spell, and it brings me into that. Yeah. into that interconnected space. 100%. It's inviting character four. It's, it's essentially saying to our brains, I invite you 
you know, I like, let's, let's work together. Let's get into this space. Let's, let's yeah. connect with all that is. Yeah. It occurs to me that I, I still don't have a name for my character three, just jumping back. I'm, cons- I'm working with uh, the name POTUS because POTUS is m- my dog and POTUS has, has sort of embodies this energy that is so playful, that is so curious, that is so present moment. I don't think POTUS thinks in language. I think POTUS thinks in in uh, in images and also is an adrenaline adrenaline seeker. Like I, I'm sort of playing with the name of POTUS. I'm not sure yet. I will. I don't know if I ever said this on the podcast. I might have, but a couple summers back, I was doing. Uh, an encore is at city center. And so I hadn't performed live in a musical in a while. And the first night of the performance, when it was showtime, I was sitting on stage and I was getting ready to stand up and sing this big number. And I started to feel myself slip into the adrenaline of character three, which is great, but I could also feel myself maybe taking a turn into character two fear. And I imagined POTUS on my lap. And I was like, I don't think if POTUS was here, I don't think he'd be scared. Aww, I'm going to embody so, that yeah, energy, just yeah. playful. And, and it helped me kind of just pull it back, pull it back into character three world. Um, so I'm playing around with POTUS and character four. I'm not sure. Rumi, because it's it, you could spell it both ways. R-U-M-I, like the poet, but also Rumi because it's so expansive. We're, we're considering Rumi, but we're welcome to any other input that you all may have. So let's get into some what do we make of it. If you're a writer or an actor or you're seeking some character inspiration or clarity, I encourage you to try viewing your characters or their behaviors in certain situations through the lens of the four characters. For instance, if you have a character whose primary uh, circuitry is that character two left brain emotional, and they, they might love verbally sparring with or bullying others, purposefully trying to make others feel bad. They might get upset about politics or not feel safe around people who are different from them. So that's just one example. And we also, because you know, the magic of so many art forms is creating change so that the the viewer, whether that's the reader, the watcher, the, the listener, we love to observe change. Oh my gosh, we love it in all our art forms. So how does the character, how do the characters change? Like, does it change? Do you go from, they started out as a, a tight laced character one, and then through interacting with a character three, they not only got to three, but they learned a lesson that took them all the way to character four. That's every movie poster or every trailer you've ever seen where there's some tight laced guy in a suit with a necktie and there's some crazy like suddenly seeking Susan who's who's got the their tie like wrapped around their hand and they're like come on I'm gonna take you to the wild side like that's a character one being changed by a character three that's right and then you also have like the trope of sort of the buffoonish guy who like can't get his life together because he's sure. like always being a clown and goofing off my idiot brother yes that's absolutely. right and he needs to be yeah. pulled into character one to get his life together to show that he can be responsible, keep a job, and settle down. But maybe in that interaction, everyone is changed for the better and arrives in a character four space. Always. Your peanut butter is in my chocolate. My chocolate is in your peanut butter. 
two great tastes that taste great together. Mm -hmm. What do we make of this regarding collaboration and specifically conflict in the midst of collaboration? According to JBT, any conflict between two character twos will never be resolved. She actually repeats it in the book, so I'm going to repeat it here. Any conflict between two character twos will never be resolved. Okay. I'm sorry to take it again back into politics, but when when we live in a world where the media, our politicians, people are appealing to our character twos in different ways, whether you're afraid of socialism or you're afraid of conservatism. If we're afraid and we're living in character two, we are not going to come together. We'll and never resolve be resolved. Yep. Whoa. Okay. So whether it's in the, the global or the national political arena, or if it's in a rehearsal room, if you are feeling disagreeable and ready to go on the attack, pay attention to which character the other person is starting out as. Mm. What circuitry are they running? Jill says, in order for any conflict between two character twos to be resolved and for any healing or agreement to happen, one of the parties must be willing to shift out of their character two. She says, it is really fun to watch this dynamic in action when people are in dispute. Once you gain an eye for it and learn to manage your own character two reactivity, your communication with others will surely become more agreeable. Wow. I want to note that and this is like, this is just very day-to-day tactical. It's worth noting that your character too can splash to the surface when you are hungry, tired, when your blood sugar drops. So if you're headed into the studio or rehearsal or a big writing session or a wood carving session, or Laura, if we're ideating about, I think we know this about ourselves, but we're going to do some big thought work about what we want the next six months of curriculum to look like. We need to come to that rested, having eaten healthy, including having some light snacks available to sustain and fuel us. I'm so proud to say uh, and just acknowledge to you, like, I feel like we're conscious of this. We're very considerate. If one of us is like, hey, I'm like, I just felt my blood sugar drop. Uh, I need to take a break and get a snack or drink some water, et cetera. Like we, there is never any judgment. We snap immediately into, yes, let us take care of ourselves so that you, we, we can even be see it here. in each other. Yeah. And you'll say to me, I'll, I'll say, I just, uh, mm. I just lost the thread. You said it last week and you were like, I saw it happen. Yeah. And there are times when I, I, we have may have mentioned this on the podcast before I'll come into a scheduled meeting that we have with each other. And I'll say, I, feel irritable and I can tell it's looking for something to attach to. Yeah. And basically to call myself out. Yeah. And also if I'm a dick that you can be like, don't splash it this way. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, I love that level of consciousness, Suze. Not many people that I know have it to the degree that you have. Um, just to articulate that my irritability is looking for something. That awareness, like a lot of people don't realize maybe until after they've snapped at someone, they're like, oh, actually it wasn't that person at all. It started before that. Um, So take that tip 
it will change your life. If you're able to get in front of it and say, my irritability is seeking, 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 and, and put your family members or friends on warning. That's what's happening right now. It can change everything. Well, now, thanks to the work of JBT, we have this additional language and Mm -hmm. we can say, Ooh, my character two is on the hunt or my character two has been kicked up. Yeah. Either I woke up like this and I'm not sure why. I don't know what I ate last night or what I was dreaming about, but my character two Mm. is on the hunt. (laughs) We have, we, we can say that now and even take a pause and just let the other pieces of our brain, our character ones, our character threes and fours, appreciate and tend to that part of our brain, not just sort of castigate it or punish ourselves, double arrow, for for being in that space, but use the other parts of our brain to collaborate to help lift us on up out of that circuitry. Thank it, acknowledge it, and then make a different choice. Uh, here's another what do we make of it. Great acting. JBT says, when it comes to assessing how safe we are in the presence of another person, our right brain character three is a well-honed truth detector. It reads body language, matches it with facial expression, and then interprets the emotional cues of inflection of voice and vocal intonation. When all those pieces of the puzzle fit together appropriately, we interpret that behavior as truth. When the pieces do not fit together as they should, for example, if a person's body stance does not communicate openness when they are professing their love, we question the overall integrity of what they are saying. Some people, for whatever reason, have mastered the fine art of deception, and they do this by consciously manipulating how they are perceived. They fly under other people's right brain radar. It is possible for us to train ourselves to do this. But to be a really good liar, and I'll add actor, our left brain has to recruit our right brain to help pull off the trickery. I'm going to say that again. Our left brain has to recruit our right brain to help pull off the trickery. Our right brain would be responsible for holding our body just right and not giving the deception away with our mouth or eyes while manifesting appropriate vocal cues. That's Jill Bolte-Taylor. Now, I say... If you're interested in being a great actor, especially a great on-camera actor, get into your character three and working in collaboration with the rest of your characters. It's so funny the way that she she's talking about brain health and brain balance, mm-hmm. but I'm like, this is the pathway to being a great actor. Yes. Speaking from experience, you need character one to show up off book, on point, ready to hit your marks, as I said earlier. You must access your character too in order to bring the full depth of human emotion to the work. And you must strengthen your character three so that you can appear authentic and unobserved. Mm-hmm. So I think this there's stuff in here that is the key to great acting. I would say great acting. I would also say great writing. I think oh. like you need to know. I mean, because that what you just described is um, you know, working with a character who the idea that you want to be believable because you mean what you say. And then there's the character that you are writing who is not telling the truth. And yes. what, And so understanding those things that would indicate whether or not they are telling the truth, I just think, yes, yes, is what I'm saying. It goes deep. And this understanding, I think, helps us at every level of our creativity. It's I just, do too. 
I do too. Phenomenal, Suze. I love this. So I just want to share a few more. What do we make makes of it? Makes what do we make of it? Some of the most profound creativity rises out of the deepest wounds we have experienced. That might look like people who have experienced or witnessed injustice or trauma and then worked and collaborated and organized to create change, or people who have been so moved by, I just think of some of our clients who have been so moved by the impact of arts Mm -hmm. and what the arts have brought to their lives that they are working to create advancements around art education. Or it could look like creatives who write their pain into their comedy or novels or TV shows or paint it onto canvases or incorporate it into their performance art. It's the old, if you have to live it, you might as well get to make something out of it. Your character too can collaborate with your other characters. Character two, again, tells us where our growth edge is. It provides that visceral feeling to tell us that there's potential creative risk afoot. It provides us with raw source material and the fuel to get the project made. And then character two can pass that spark to character three, Mm. who can utilize their creativity to make something out of it. And character one can project manage the fuck out of all of it. (laughs) So to answer your earlier question in a different way, I think a healthy character two is our intrepid feeler who identifies the cave we fear to enter which holds the creative treasure that we seek. Yes, yes, yes. And one more, what do we make of it? Jill Bolte-Taylor tells the story about how she became a river guide after graduating from college. Through the people that she learned from and the life that she lived that summer, she says she grew up and met the best part of herself, the part of her that she wanted to become her character for. When she returned home, her mother recognized that she was now a different woman and her mother never held her back to her smaller self. I read that and I realized in my life, I have sometimes gotten scared, character two, that if I grow up into a more expansive version of myself, if I grow into my character four, I will be too much for people. My character two fears rejection, so I revert back into smaller versions of myself that I guess people might feel more comfortable with. But I'm putting myself on notice when I see myself or people whom I support potentially playing small. I'm committing to remember that under the chatter of all these characters, there already exists a character four that is connected to you, Laura. It's connected to all of you listeners and beyond that to the entire universe. I am reminded by Jill Bolte-Taylor's work that in this moment, we are perfect, we are whole, we are beautiful, and we are expansive beyond measure. Yes. So in conclusion, again, (laughs) I highly (laughs) recommend this book. As I mentioned in part one of this spark, there's an exercise detailed in her book called the brain huddle that she uses to strengthen this collaboration between the four parts of her brain and to consciously decide which part of her brain she will call on at the appropriate time to respond. It is a game-changing exercise. So check out Whole Brain Living, Mm -hmm. The Anatomy of Choice, Mm. and The Four Characters That Drive Our Life by the great Jill Bolte. Taylor. Thank you, Jill Bolte Taylor. Thank Thanks, you, JBT. Susan, for bringing it all to our attention and going on another deep dive of it. I love this stuff so much. 
I'll say again, we our little Spartapus dove ever deeper, and yet there's so much that as un, that I have not touched in this book. It is it's just life changing. Yes, I agree. I completely agree. Oh, and that <sighs> left brain of mine was like, oh, what if I had learned this when I was 25? What if I had learned this when I was 30? Because I really do believe it's life-changing, but I'm learning it now. We get to learn and it now. And that's a gift. It Thank is a gift. Uh, All right. My, my character one's telling me oh, we've got to wrap we gotta this go. up. We've got to go. Mm-hmm. We've got, we've got other sparktopuses to fry. There's oh my God. ABS. On the menu tonight. Deep fried sparktopus. Oh God, no. God, no. Oh. <laughs> no. Swim no deeper into this fryer, sparktopus. Mm. I guess that's it. That's what a it. note to end on. This mm. episode of The Spark File was made on the lands of the Lenape and Seminole people. And as always, we hope that this put another bunch of sparks in your deep spark fryer. (laughs) If there's a spark you'd like us to explore, or if you've taken a spark and fanned it into a creative flame, and you'd like to share that, email us at thesparkfile at gmail.com or submit it through our website, thesparkfile.com. We'll even happily take your feedback, but you know the price of admission. First, you need to share a creative risk that you've taken recently. You can follow us on social at The Spark File and be sure to subscribe, rate, and five-star review this podcast. It really does help other people to find us. If you like this podcast, we hope you'll share it with people that you love. And if you didn't like it, we still love you. And your character too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If something tickles your fancy and gets your creative juices flowing, we're writing you a forever permission slip to make that thing that's been knocking at your door. It's your turn to take a spark and fan it into a flame. You got to take it and make make it. it. Bye. Bye, everybody. Bye, little spark to pusses. When I bump into something that inspires me, I dump it in my spark files. Could be something that I want to make or how I want to be. I pump it in my spark file. I jump into my spark file. Let's open up the spark file. Did you ever wonder what it would be like to be part of the Spark File coaching community? Here's how the Spark File community describes it the most honest, safe, life affirming, and life changing experience I've had in all my 55 years, the best. I'm incredibly grateful to Laura and Susan for teaching me the tools and structures that I need to get past the fear and to just do it anyway. The Spark File is a portal to your creative powers and believing in yourself. This group is spiritually, emotionally, mentally supportive, creative, amazing, encouraging, life shifting and liberating uber talented warm thoughtful lovely wonderful people i need a group like this to give me the kick in the ass that i need to start making the things that i want to make and do there's a big beautiful creative trampoline that just like catches you gently and just launches you out with so much love if you want to learn more about the spark file creativity coaching including our six-month blaze course visit the sparkfile.com slash blaze and schedule a no pressure no obligation call to find out what is possible and how we can support you it's time to take it 
and make it.